Manhattan to give a huge, huge One Chapel welcome to Miss Kim Swafford. You know, when I was a stay-at-home mom, I never dreamed that I would be standing up here with this microphone and these lights shining in my eyes. And as you can tell, I'm from Alabama, so and happy to be. We're Alabamians. But Jesus sent us here, and um, I really never saw my life like this. Uh, I saw it in other ways. As a matter of fact, I always wanted the gift of singing. That's what, can I order that? No. Um, he said, no, this is what I want you to do, and I'm happy to do it because I love the Lord, and um, I love his word. I love it because it has told me who God is, and when he speaks to my heart, if it lines up with that, I know it's him, and if it lines up with my own thoughts and ideas, then I know it's mine, and so I can just lay that aside. And so I'm happy to be here this morning. The beginning of this season, I was reading through Matthew, and the Lord started speaking to me about what I'm going to share with you. And you know, we've been in this series called Advent Conspiracy. And Ross has talked about hope and joy, right? And Ken talked about peace. You know, I'm so thankful for the peace of God. I have the peace of God even when things are not great. Because peace is a state. I can run to God and I can talk to him and he's there. And um, I'm so thankful for that. I wish everybody had it because there's nothing like it. And those of you who know that peace know that that, um, there's nothing, no money, no fame, no fortune that could take the place of that. So I'm thankful for that. So I am going to talk to you about the fourth part of this uh, Advent conspiracy, which is love. And of course, love is a huge subject, right? But as I was looking through Matthew, I came across just this thought of that God is with us, that he is Emmanuel. So the title of this is Love, Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, we sing that song, and it, we sing songs, Christmas song, carols about Emmanuel, and it's a beautiful, beautiful word. It's a beautiful word in Scripture. As a matter of fact, it's probably the one of the most beautiful words in Scripture. Now, there is another word that I love to hear. It's the word that my, what my grandchildren call me. Do you know what they call me? Honey. They call me honey. So that's the sweetest, one of the sweetest words, but another sweet word is Emmanuel. And those of you who have grandchildren know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so it's a beautiful word. We think of Emmanuel as a word of wonder. But when I think about, as I was reading through this story in Matthew, I was thinking, it wasn't so wonderful for Jesus, not really, what he had to endure. What does it really mean? What does Emmanuel, God with us, really mean? Wasn't God with us before? Hasn't he been with us? Wasn't he with us before Jesus was here? Was one of my questions. Yes, in a sense, God has been with us. He is the God of the universe. He, he's, he created. He flung the earth out into space. But he just didn't leave it there. Like the, the watchmaker. Do you all know that in philosophy, there's a watchmaker that winds up the world and he throws it out and lets it go. But that's not our God. He is with us. And he is everywhere at the same time. He's omnipresent. 
And so you would think that because he is a God that is with us everywhere all the time, that, that he would be with us. And I want to read this uh, scripture from Jeremiah 23. It says, Am I not a God who is near at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God who is far off? Can anyone hide out in a corner where I can't see him, declares the Lord? Am I not present everywhere, whether seen or unseen, declares the Lord? So he certainly is a God who is with us. But with the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, it took on a different look. As a matter of fact, uh, when the shepherds came to visit him, and Ross talked about the shepherds last week, you know, they, they went back to their fields rejoicing. And the magi, when they came, they fell down to this little baby in circumstances, not a nice, beautiful castle that you think a, a king would be in, but in a lowly place, location. And so they came, and what is it? It was the gripping realization that they were seeing God. So God, creator, made man. And that is what we know as God incarnate. Now the word incarnate means that you take on flesh. So God is a spirit, and Jesus was a spirit, but he became one like us, and he took on this body forever to be in this body just for us. So how did this happen? So I want you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. So I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2 and also Matthew 1 and 2. So you can uh, flip over there after I read this verse. So Paul is writing this to the people at Philippi. And he's telling them, I want you to have this same attitude or this same mindset that Jesus had. And, and he, he tells what Jesus' attitude and mindset is. And here it is, verses 6, 7, and 8. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Wow. You know, so we see, we know that God existed as God eternally before he came that Jesus existed as God before, eternally before he came to earth. But he stepped out of his role in the heavenlies, in the spirit realm, as, as, as we see, and he became like us. He laid his deity aside and became like a slave, it says. Actually, the form of a slave, and it's like this love slave, because he loves us so much, he decided to do this, being made in the likeness of man. And so, long before Jesus came, it was told that he was going to come, right? It was prophesied he was going to come. But when he did show up, it looked completely different than what so many people thought. They thought he was going to come and look like a king, riding on a horse. Well, he is coming back riding on a horse, and he does look like a king right now, but at this point, he looked completely different. He looked like a little baby. So how does God incarnate really look? Have you thought about it before? So let's look at the circumstances around the advent of Jesus Christ. So we know, and we have learned, especially in this series, that the period of time that Jesus lived in was one of, of trouble and conflict and, and between people and violence and fear. As a matter of fact, throughout history, that's the way it's always been, except for a few pockets of time when there's been, been peace. 
But for the most part, it's been a time of, of agony for people and conflict between people and nations. And my question as I was reading through this, well, Jesus, who is God, he's God-man, was he exempt from the agony that exists here? So if you've read the story, you know that he wasn't. So we can really banish all thought of a, a sweet, peaceful, silent night kind of Christmas. Because it was so different, really, when he was born. Jesus was born under questionable and undesirable circumstances. So I'm going to read from Matthew 1, 18 through 19. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. What a nice guy. You know, when you think about, when you think about Mary and what she had faced, if you're looking at it from the outside looking in, it is a disgrace. So is she going around saying to people, okay, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. What would most people say? Sure. You know, there are myths and legends where gods are conceived by, within a virgin's body. There are that. But in reality, you know, they're just legends and myths. But in this situation, we have this very young girl, perhaps 12, 13, 14 years old, and she has found herself impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Now, she knows what God has told her, but other people probably are questioning that. And just think about Joseph. We know from reading the scriptures that he did not want to disgrace her. And so he's a nice guy. But can you imagine what he was thinking? What in the world is the town going to think? And what are my parents thinking? I bet his mother cried herself to sleep at night thinking, what have these kids done? They're engaged, but they're not married yet. I bet maybe they lost some business because of this. It was a disgrace. Thankfully, the angel of the Lord goes to Joseph and says, this thing that is of of." that's within Mary is of me. It is from the Holy Spirit. And then he said, I want you to name him Joseph. I want you to name him Jesus because he is going to save his people from their sin. So with, in, in just this, this couple, you know, they're rejoicing and they're pondering in their heart what's going on. But the story, you know, is questionable, questionable but it's also undesirable because what happens they have to go to Bethlehem because of the tax situation. And so she is really pregnant. She's riding on a donkey, probably in labor. And so it is undesirable. So Joseph is going around. He's knocking on innkeeper's door, and he's saying, Please, I've got my wife here. She is pregnant. She's in labor. We need a place to give birth. And what does he get? A city of slammed doors. He wants a place of comfort and security for her, but what does he get? He probably has no money to bribe them. Please, just let me in. What does he do? He ends up in a barn or a stable of some sort or a cave of some sort. Can you imagine what Joseph is saying? He is saying, Lord, is this the plan? Is this what you have planned for me? 
what in the world am I doing wrong? You know, where are you, God? Have you ever been in a situation that you felt like the Lord said, you know, I want you to do, do this, I want you to do that, and you did it, and then it didn't go right? Just think, the God of the universe is being born in a situation that is less desirable, and they can't even find a place for Mary to give birth. She gives birth in a barn where animals are birthed, and she's laid in a trough where animals feed, where slobbery animals feed. That is the reality of what happened. So what kind of God would choose a barn to be born in, in a tiny little town in Bethlehem? What kind of God would choose a peasant girl for a mother and a no-name blue-collar worker for a father? What kind of God would do that? What kind of God would choose a feed trough as his first resting place and farm animals as his first companion? It's, you know, it seems to be a hopeless situation. But wait just a minute. Isn't this supposed to be the hope of the world? And I think because of this scenario, the circumstances that Jesus was born in, that he can sympathize with you and me that he can understand what we're going through because he was born under such circumstances. We know that, that Jesus had visitors. We had shepherds, right? Ross talked about that last week. Shepherds were the poor, and I think Ross said that they were toothless and smelly. They probably were. And we see that, this representation. And they rejoiced over this baby king being born. But we also see that there's the magi the wise ones, the educated that came to, to worship him. I'm going to read just a little passage about that. It's Matthew 2, 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So we see that they made, probably made this huge entrance into Jerusalem. And uh, as I said earlier, they represented the wealthy, the educated, and the wise. And they were bringing him gifts fit for a king or a god. So they certainly knew that there was something special about this baby, even in the circumstance that Jesus was born in. Let's continue to read. Matthew 2, we'll pick up at verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. He didn't like it at all. As was everyone in Jerusalem, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star was appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. He's a big fat liar. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star, star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of, ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the child, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it came time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream to not return to Herod. Skip over to verse 16. 
Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in the area around Bethlehem with, who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. And so we know that even though King Herod was, was uh, impressed by uh, the Magi, he had other motives in mind, and he wanted to know the whereabouts. But we know that God told the Magi, go another way. And, uh, but my question was, why in the world was Herod such a threat? Why was he such a threat? You know, he was an opportunist military commander. And uh, Rome made him king because they wanted to use him as a puppet king to do their dirty work. And um, when he heard that there was a king of the Jews, don't you know, he thought, because he, he went to the priest. He went to the leaders and said, what about this? So he must have believed it, or he wouldn't have taken such action, right? So I see him as he, he knew that he was the imposter and that Jesus was the real king. Uh, and so he felt the threat, so therefore he threatened Jesus, and he puts a price on Jesus' head. So at the, at the heart of the story in Matthew, we see that the most powerful man around at that time that because he felt a threat, that he went and he massacred a whole village of babies and toddlers. So that situation there grips your heart to think that's how Jesus was born. You know, Jesus, but even in that, God is in the midst of Jesus in this situation. He is in the midst. He has a plan and a purpose, and he shows up. And he directs, he directs his son that has just been born. And he causes it to happen even in the face of danger and murder. Because Jesus came to seek and save those that are lost. So, you know, when I think about that, I think we personally cannot lose hope. Because Jesus is with us. He is there with us. He is there where the pain is. Jesus is where the pain is. He experiences all the things in that he experienced all the things in life that we experience, the joys and the pain. And when we study Jesus' life, we see his life. He had peace and joy and love, even in the midst of these circumstances that happened in his life. So we can't lose hope. God is with us. Do you realize that that uh, just think about it? Isn't, it, isn't that when you feel the presence of God the most is when you're in pain or there's a trial going on? So he, he is with us in the pain. Don't despise the pain. He understands the pain. And we know him. We learn about him in the pain. So let's continue to read. I'll go back and read. Uh, verses 13, 14 in uh, chapter 2. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, said the angel. Stay there until, until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left for Egypt and the child and Mary his mother and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out 
of Egypt. So we see from this little scenario that Jesus was a refugee. Before the Prince of Peace had learned to walk and talk, he was a refugee with a price on his head. That's our God. That is Emmanuel, God with us. His parents had to flee. They had to take him. And just think, as a toddler, he is wandering from place to place in Egypt. Why? Why would the Son of the living God step out of this wonderful splendor and become like us? Why would he do that? You know, he probably deserved royal treatment, but he chose a path that was so, so different than that. So it's astounding to me that the Son of God, that God himself would choose this, that he would take the posture of an ordinary man, that he would become like us, that he would, he would experience the things like us, that he would celebrate joys and experience the pain and taste the sorrows that we feel. And he would, he would instruct us and lead us and heal us. And he would reveal the Father's heart to us. And that's what we get from Jesus. And then he would die for us so that we could experience heaven. That's the God that we serve because there is no other way to experience except through Jesus. So think about it. If he is to be Emmanuel, God with us, he must be with us where the pain is. Why? Why would God do this? Why? It's the point of this message, because he loves us. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. And you know, this believe is just not a mental assent. It is a mental assent. It is a belief. It is a persuasion. It is being so convinced. Some of you are so convinced that you would give your very life for it, that you surrender and you live for him, you are convinced. That is what this belief means. And this convincing, this persuasion changes your whole being, changes everything. It changes your behavior, it changes your thoughts, changes everything about you. You are a different person because of it. But you know what? When Jesus became an adult, it didn't just stop the circumstances. Jesus' ministry was a challenge. So I don't know if you've studied the life of Jesus, but the first year and a half of his, his ministry was extremely, he was extremely popular. People wanted to follow him. They flocked to him. He healed the sick. He opened people's blind eyes. He did miracles. He set people free from darkness. He raised people from the dead. But then there came a time when he started preaching and saying, well, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. I want you to surrender your whole life to me. And so people were like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. You know, they were not willing to give up their lives, their choices, their comfort, their individual privileges and opportunities. What about you? Are you willing to do that? Have you done that? Are you waffling between two opinions and thoughts in your life? Jesus wants all of you. It's either all or nothing with him, actually, because he became Emmanuel, God with us. And so because they realize, oh, I can't do this, and they understood what he was saying, y'all. They understood more what he was saying than we understand today because they understood a covenant, what covenant meant. And so they left him, and they rejected him. 
But then the religious of the day who thought they knew so much and thought they knew God and the scriptures, well, they were jealous of him because he brought the light and it shed the light on their darkness. And so what do they want to do? They wanted to kill him. He was despised by them. But what is amazing to me is that Jesus loved them all. He loved the needy and he loved the prideful too. And uh, even though many attacked him and uh, spit on him and mocked him and lied about him, he still loved them. So it is the same today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So if you're struggling with that, does Jesus really love me? Am I special enough? Yes, you are. You know, on the day that they killed him, they spit in his face and they mocked him. And they ripped his clothes from his body and they whipped his flesh. And do you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. They just don't know. What kind of God is that? That is an amazing God, isn't it? Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves you. He loves you in the back, back there. You may like to sit in the back because maybe you're hiding or you're in pain or whatever, or right in the middle. But he loves you. He has his number on you. He's calling to you, actually. You know, Joseph said, his name was Jesus. He shall save people from their sins. And we know from Scripture, he came to save all the world from their sins, not just his particular people group. And, and, and Isaiah told us that there's going to be this woman and she's going to have a child. She's going to be a virgin. And his name is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And he told his mom and dad, this is, this is, he, is he is the son of the Most High God. He is often, he is awesome. <coughs> the truth is, Jesus, the son of the living God, a man possessing all power and ability in the universe to stop the madness anytime he wanted, chose not to consider himself but to allow common man to tear the clothes off his back, spit in his face because he knew that he must be the substitute for our sin, to remove our sin so that we can know God. Do you want to know him? Do you know him? It's awesome to know him, isn't it? Yeah. He needed to take on our identity. So the thing that keeps us from identifying with God would be removed. And you know what that is? It is a divine exchange. It's a divine exchange. What a great deal. This is your lucky day if you've never experienced that. Because today is the day that you should do that. In light of Christmas, I mean, this is what happened right after Jesus was born. And we're right after Jesus is born. What a tremendous present to give to yourself and to God if you take this divine exchange that he has for you. So, the wonder of Christmas is love. That's why. Why does he do this? Because he loves us. The wonder of Christmas began in a smelly old barn, but it ends in a king that lives forever. Emmanuel, God with us. It's yesterday, today, and forever. Why? Because greater love had no man than this then he laid down his life for his friends. He's our friend. I love that word friend. He's the epitome of friend because of what he's done. So Jesus, he makes it very clear why he became Emmanuel, God with us. Just look at his life. 
Look at the circumstances. He was a refugee. There was a price on his head. He was not born even any, anything like we were. His, his circumstances were undesirable. He did it all for us. Jesus, even though he was and continues to be rejected, he will give the right to become a child for all those who believe in him. And remember, believe is not just a mental assent. It is being convinced. It is being persuaded. We don't just believe in something that is not real. It is real. It is real. It's not just a legend either. There's too many scientific things that point to him and his life. So, you know, the amazing thing is, is that he takes us from wherever we are, whoever we are, whatever we've done. And he says, I take you. And he makes us into what we are supposed to be, what he is destined for us to be. So do you want to live for a higher, higher purpose? Do you? Yeah. I think we all have that in us. If we haven't lost hope. Some of you probably have lost hope. But I want to tell you, today's a good day. It's a good day for you. Because there are people that want you to know that hope. There are people that are going to pray for you if you will allow us to. Because he lived in this world as a man, he sympathizes with everything that we might go through. One of my favorite verses. It says he sympathizes, he went through everything that we went through plus more. Because he took on the sin of the whole world. So he felt it. Which is too much for me to think of what he did. He sees your struggle. He is the God. He is a compassionate God. He is the God of all comfort. And there is no, no affliction, no suffering, no trial, no trouble where his comfort cannot comfort you in that. It really outweighs that, your affliction and your trouble. Yeah. Amen. That's right. His message is still the same for those who believe and accept him. He demands total surrender. He is Emmanuel, just like when the people rejected him. His message is still the same. Why in the world would he have to come and die for us? When, we can, when I can decide what I'm going to do instead of God deciding what I'm going to do. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And my question is to you, have you surrendered to him? This is a great time if you haven't. What in the world are you holding back? Is your plan better than God's plan? I, I personally don't think so because we seem to dig ourselves in a hole, cause more problems. You know, if there is a stirring in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to you and he's saying, I want you. I want you on my side. I have something so much better for you. And it's the Christmas story. He tells us that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So he has a story that he has written about you. He has a story that he has written about you. So will you stand up a minute? So I want, I want to take just a second, and I want you to, to close your eyes. That's the best way just to, you know, not be thinking about what's going on around you. And I want you, in your head or your heart, to ask these questions. You ask them to God. Lord, do you have a higher purpose for me 
Lord, do you see my suffering and my pain? He sees your suffering and pain because he loves you, because he understands. You can talk to him from your heart. If you're holding back, I want you to ask yourself why. Why are you holding back? There's not a love as great as this love. The love of of Jesus, the love of our Father, the love of the Comforter. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He has rest for you. I would like for the prayer team to come on up. If you asked those questions and and you felt like a stirring in your heart, we want to help you. We want to help you to know God. If you're saying, I do want to know Him, but I don't know how, we can help you with that. There are people to pray for you. If the pain is overwhelming in your life right now, we can call out to God for you. If you're holding back and, and you don't want to do that anymore, you can run to Him. He is always available. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. Father, no matter where they are, I pray that you would speak to their heart. If they're in pain or suffering, Father, that you would comfort them. Lord, if they're questioning where they are with you, I pray that they would run to you. Lord, if there's one that has been loyal and faithful to you, that they would rejoice in what you have done for them. Thank you that you sympathize with everything, Lord. If you would like for someone to pray for you, you can just come up here to the prayer team. They'll be up here through the end of the service. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your kindness. You're a good and kind and you're a right. And we worship you. We thank you for the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of your great love. And so I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, everyone. I just want to remind you that there are offering boxes in the back. If you are moved in your heart to give as you leave. And I want to speak a blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you or either smile upon you and give you grace. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, go in peace.